Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, I'm Jess Phillips, and welcome back to Yours Sincerely. Now, most of you might know I'm an MP in Birmingham, but what you might not know is that I've always been a prolific letter writer and know the power of putting words to paper. So in this podcast, I give my guests a chance to celebrate three people that mean the world to them, someone they love, someone who's no longer around, and someone who doesn't realise how significant a role they've played in their lives. And when we've heard more about each person, they'll reveal how they would sign off each letter. Terry White is an author and journalist who's worked as the editor of Empire Magazine and Time Out New York. She's had an incredibly successful career, but she began her life with a painful and traumatic childhood that's since driven her to campaign for victims of abuse as the NSPCC's campaigner for childhood. In her new podcast series for BBC Radio 5 Live and BBC Sounds, Terry returns to her hometown of Chesterfield to find out how 100,000 children dropped off England's school registers in lockdown, why so many children are still missing from education, and how to reach those who are enduring the same kind of difficult upbringing she survived. Today, I'm excited to talk to her about the letters she would send to three people who mean the world to her. Terry, thank you for coming in. Thank you for having me. This is all about letter writing, this podcast. Are you much of a letter writer? You are of the right generation. I hate to uh, divide the people who come on this podcast between those who are under 30 and those who are over 30, Uh, but the people who are under 30 have never written a letter in their lives, it seems, Uh, and the people who are over 30 were all in, like, you know, the Smash Hits fan club. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny you should say that because I was in the Take That fan club. Oh, were you? And I used to write letters to the other members and we'd all call each other by the surname of whoever we fancied. So I was Mrs Terry Owen. Oh, but surely everybody was Owen, couldn't Didn't everybody fancy Mark well, Owen? I somehow... I th- well, there was a lot of competition <laughs> and a lot of jealousy, so we kind of all deliberately made friends with girls who liked the other guys. Oh, I see. otherwise it was just too much. Because the likelihood was that you exactly. were going to end up marrying them. So well, you didn't want to fall out with your friends. Quite. <laughs> and I did... I wrote Mark Owen a letter. I interviewed him, like, years later, but I wrote him a letter detailing in in lots and lots and lots of excruciating detail exactly why we were meant to be and we were going to spend the rest of our lives together. Did you respond? 
did he fuck? Oh, Mark Owen, now's your chance to respond. <laughs> Get a letter to Terry. How rude. You I must know. imagine how many letters they must oh have got. Oh, my God. And I, I, it was stuff like, we're both quite shy. Mm-hmm. Um, we both like dolphins, because uh, he had a dolphin he had tattoo. He a dolphin tattoo out <laughs> yeah. of his belly. Yeah. <laughs> I remember it like it was yesterday. Oh, God. I remember Katie Wakeman, uh, shout out to Katie Wakeman, uh, at my school, who, on the day that Take That broke up, honestly, I, it was... I, I actually think they did put, like, Samaritans lines on, <laughs> they didn't did, they, yeah. uh, at the time? Yeah. Um, and I remember just thinking, my main takeaway from it was they should have made Never Forget Their Last Song. What were you thinking? Uh, that second... You know, the Bee Gees cover How that came after. How deep I mean, rubbish. No. I sat next to Jason Orange uh, at a play. But there was a um, a girl who was going out with him at my university and oh she put God. on a play and he... I don't remember a single thing about the play because me and my friend Helen just sat there staring at Jason Orange the whole time. When I interviewed Mark Owen, I was like, I can't tell him that I used to be a psychotic fan. And I also can't tell him that I sat outside his house once, um, (laughs) just on the off chance that he came home, even though he was, I think he was on a world tour at the time. Um, I interviewed him um, when I was a young journalist and it was still the most nerve-wracking thing I've ever done in my life. And I've interviewed, you know, like, directors and A-list Hollywood actresses. Mark Owen, I, I, I... I may have had a small drink of alcohol before I interviewed him. The only time I have been totally like... And I'll regret this for the rest of my life. When I met Keanu Reeves, he was in in Parliament, I don't know, doing something about the environment. And like like a magnet, I just walked up to him and I had literally nothing to say. (laughs) It was horrendous. Did you just say his name? Keanu Reeves. Hello, Keanu Reeves. Yeah, like... (laughs) Your Bill. <laughs> You're Ted, actually. Yeah, Sorry, I apologise. Yeah. Uh, You're in Point Break, the greatest film ever ever made, ever. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I did not... I was not cool about it. So I can imagine. But, now, I, I mean, we all fancied Mark Owen, yeah. so, you know, fair play. But it turns out that Howard and Jason were the hotties. As I've Ooh. got older, I realise now. Yeah, they. I mean, it's, it's always interesting who ages... Better doesn't and, and Gary Barlow to be fair. I mean, who saw that coming? I mean, literally nobody. No dad bod on him, is there? He's, no. he's like turned him centre out. Not, there's nothing wrong with him in the first place. I should probably hasten to add. Apart from he has definitely improved with age. And his hair definitely has got better. Oh my god! He had that terrible sort of spiky hair that everybody had in the late eighties. What that white peroxide? So when they did that, um, their first song, yeah. Um, and that could video it was it? Was it <gasps> no, can you remember the, the video uh, the, the with the jelly? One. Oh yeah, the jelly one on their yeah. bare bums. Any young people <laughs> go and Google this. And um, uh, he had that peroxide, yeah, white spiky, spiky hair. hair. Yeah, not a good look. Not a good look, Gary. You definitely look better now. Um, You'll be pleased to hear we've decided. Yeah, <laughs> congratulations, Gary Barlow. You're all right. <laughs> so uh, you you sent a lot of letters to a lot of take that us. Basically. But you never, they never wrote back to you, Never that. wrote back rude, to me. Rude, never wrote back rude. to me. And I sent him some beads. So and he always wore beads. He always wore beads. <laughs> so I sent him some beads. And I remember vividly, I'd walk home. When you, when I got to my house, you'd go up some steps and you'd be able to see the mantelpiece through the window when you got to the top step. And every day after school, I'd get to the top step, just desperate to see a letter so, on the mantelpiece. Oh, yeah, because you used to be able to see where yeah. your letters had come. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Now you don't get letters, do you, anymore? No. I don't really get letters, just just things saying you've missed a parcel, yeah. even though you were in. Um, the uh, Yeah, that is that, that feeling of, like, maybe it'll be there when I yeah. get home. 
<laughs> and it never was. Yeah, I, I'd like to apologise to all the people who aren't the exact same age as me and Terry <laughs> listening to this podcast. So I often find that people who are the same age as me, we just end up like just talking about the early 1990s. Um, so do you have any letters that you've kept forever, like letters of note from somebody like Fancy and or like getting a job for the first time or something? Do you know what I always kept? I kept... All the letters my nana wrote me. So when I was at university, my nana used to write to me every week. And I also kept the very first um, letter I got accepting me for an internship at Marie Claire magazine. Oh, wow. Which I I wrote to all the magazines in my second year at university um, asking to do an internship for the summer. And the only people who got back to me were Marie Claire and they offered me... uh, I'll say internship. It was work experience. So yeah. It wasn't called internships then either. Yeah, we did, that language didn't yeah. exist. It this was, was work like experience. 1998. Yeah. Um, and uh, I went and did that work experience and then I worked in magazines for 20 years. So does that, Marie Claire still exist? Yes, it does, but it's online. Online. Yeah. online. Um, and it was like, that. that was kind of the letter that I always felt like, changed everything for me. Yeah. I remember when it came. I mean, the work experience, I should just point out, wasn't even really on the magazine. They allowed me to do work experience on the receptionist desk. <laughs> but still, you can write but it still, on your CV, exactly, can't you? Still exactly. something, still but, something. But then tragedy struck because I, when I moved back from New York, a big box of my belongings got lost somewhere over mm. the sea. And in that box was, I kept a box of letters, all the letters, important letters I'd ever got in my life from like my first boyfriend and jobs and all of that, all gone forever, (sighs) lost. Oh, no, and you've never found it. It's somewhere. Yeah, God knows where. When I was a kid, I used to think it would be good if you could get the thing you lost that to make it glow so that you could (laughs) find it like a beacon. I thought that, like you know, by, by now somebody would have invented that. But Isn't that find, it's a bit like find. You had you find basically you had finds my iPhone. I invented iPhone. find yeah. my phone. I'd also like to say for the listener, I also invented Gogglebox. Oh, d- I definitely invented that before they did. Like, yeah, me and my friend Alex were convinced that we invented Gogglebox. I mean, we didn't tell anyone, so <laughs> like, you know, somebody else came up with the idea, but we definitely invented Gogglebox. What we invented was, you know, the dawn of the red button, yeah. which now you only use when the Olympics is on. Yep. Um, the dawn of the red button. Mind you, maybe it's going to get a real because who knew QR codes were going to become a thing again? I didn't see that coming. No. Until the old panny D, uh, and. Um, that you pressed the red button and you could watch like other people, like watching oh. the telly or listen to the commentary of people. Because I used to think that I I don't like watching. There's loads of telly I only like to watch when my husband's yeah. there because his disdain for it yeah. makes it very, very amusing. Um, and I thought this would definitely be enhanced if I could watch people watching it. But And then I was thinking you could, like, localise it so you could watch your neighbours watching it. Oh <laughs> yeah, I mean, my neighbours like might not agree to it. Half but. Big Brother, yes. half Gogglebox, uh, very creepy. Yeah, it's a bit <laughs> and a massive creepy. invasion of privacy. Well, you know, I think we're all letting people invade our privacy all well, the time are, now. Yeah. Might as well just go for yeah. it. So, I mean, I'm glad to hear that you're a letter fanatic uh, of old. Uh, and Marco, and I'm expecting you to write a letter now back to Terry uh, with a fulsome apology uh, for not re- responding sooner and then to marry her immediately. <laughs> I yes. assume yeah. that's what you're still oh, after. Yeah, of course, yeah. 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 I know you've got a wife and kids and I've technically got a boyfriend and a child, but, but you, know, you know, life's for living. Logistics 
Besides. can be overcome. <laughs> so I have asked you to think about three different people you would want to write a letter to. So the first one is the person who means the world to you. So who would that be? So this would be my son. Oh, God, oh, I hate... That's nice. Did you, did you hear I had to follow it up then with, like, something just to balance out how cheesy this is? <laughs> um, to my three-year-old son, Emlyn. OK. Oh, Emlyn's a good name. Yeah. When we were kids, it was the name of one of the people on Crescent Sport. <laughs> so, yeah, so... <laughs> Emlyn Hughes. So everyone goes to me... Oh, my God, is he named after Emlyn Hughes? I'm like, no, he's not named after Emlyn Hughes. She named him Bill Beaumont. He was also on Crescent <laughs> Sport in the 1980s. Oh, my God, I, swear I feel to like God. these are very niche <laughs> references now. They are, but, yeah, no, definitely not. I can't... I don't even really like the name Emlyn. I've got to be, <laughs> I've got to be honest, but... Uh, me and my boyfriend couldn't agree. I came up with, like, a list of 100 names. Yeah, we did that. He just, said no to all of yeah. them. And then went, what about Emlyn? And I went, whatever, like, <laughs> yeah. sure. I feel like my son, by proxy, was just named by my husband. By my, because my husband handed me to him after 24 hours of labour and said, it's Harry. And I was like, I'm not sure we settled on that. But once oh, he'd said it, I could... can't, yeah. It, it was done then. Yeah. I was like, that, yeah, OK. That'd be like, really brutal in that moment yeah, go, to go, no, it no, isn't, no, it actually. isn't. <laughs> Way to ruin one of the most beautiful yeah. moments of his life. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we never agreed on that, actually. Um, but so your son, and he's three years old three and you really old. like him. Okay, I, He's really cool. Um, he's a proper magical little person. Like, I was like, what if I have a kid? And he's like a dick. Dull, yeah, right? dull or a dick, yeah. yeah. So my biggest He must be fear, a dick some of the time. I'm oh, just, they all just, are. Yeah, yeah, just to, to speak up for all yeah. children who... Are you know quite, my husband believes that all children are born like a sort of big sausage, and they are complete twats when they're born, and you spend your entire <laughs> life just salami slicing the the twat away from them until they are functioning adults I who mean, can show empathy. That's that's a pretty good way actually to uh, a slightly dark way of looking at it, but I can see his argument. I can see his argument, but he is um he is, and I've I've never really been a big fan of kids uh-huh. or, like other people's kids. Yeah. Um, and I was like, what if I don't like him? Um, but he's, like, properly sound. He's really funny. He's really clever. Really passionate. He's been obsessed with the drums since he was, like, 18 months old. Brilliant. Um, and he's just the best company. Um, and it, and I, for years, didn't think I, I would have kids. I was like, definitely not having kids. Mainly because my own parents were so dreadful. I was yeah. like, there has to be... Some of that has to have stuck to me. Yeah. Like, that has to be within my genes somewhere. That you would be terrible that parent. That I'd be a terrible parent. And also, I'm not even just a bad parent, I was, like, convinced I would become evil. I was like, yeah. as soon as I become pregnant, this darkness in me is going to, like, erupt and I'm going to become, like, Yeah, there a is a psychopath. definite thing where you think something might happen to you when you're pregnant, yeah. that, like, it opens some sort of black flower yeah. yes. in your heart. 100%. Yeah, and that... You won't love them when they come, yeah. and there are all sorts of fears that. Yeah. Well, this is a sort of horrible fairy tale world that it we is. seem to think that we exist in real life. I mean, pregnancy is way more like a horror film than you know oh, all, all the beautiful, like wonderful things, and also massively like a horror. It's basically like Alien. I would give birth. To, you know, it doesn't bother me. They're giving birth. Being pregnant is the shittest. It's just. It's. But it's just that weird thing of, like, A, you're incubating another human being and growing them, but the the way you're taken over and the the, the sense of, you know, there's a massive amount of control in it, but also the sense that this thing is happening inside you that 
you know, it is a par- you know, it's a parasite, it's a parasite isn't yeah. it? It's well, a parasite, bloody no parasite. No offence, Emlyn. But, um... Yeah, yeah, yeah. My children continue to be parasites. <laughs> um, I literally had to send one of them a tenner moments before you walked in to um. do this podcast. Uh, and once the bank got in touch with me to say, we think that you're being defrauded because you've made this payment three times today. And I thought, yeah, I know. Oh. I know. I don't need your judgment. Thank you, HSBC. <laughs> I know that this is uh, a parasitic relationship of financial abuse that I have with my children. So, yeah, it doesn't end. <laughs> no. And I'm, I'm, I'm always thinking, are we still in the honeymoon bit, right? Because he's three. Mm. So you've got the baby phase. Oh, yeah, that's hard. Yeah, that keeps three. saying. That's, so if you this really is the like bit. him, yeah. it's only going to get better. I mean, it's exhausting. Like, I haven't slept through the night in three yeah, years. Yeah, um, that's exhausting. And it, it is completely exhausting. If you really like his company now, that's a good thing, because mm. I will be honest with you, I really loved my kids. I really... And, and when they're three, they are, like, their personality starting to... To really yeah. like shine through and that is good um but i have to say i did find their company quite tedious quite a lot of the time they're quite repetitive aren't they my husband yeah. definitely enjoyed their company much more and now as teenagers i much prefer their company yeah and um much more so than he does he finds them much more tedious now um but it's good if you like his personality now. And he's already likes drumming. I uh, often it's... on this podcast have to talk about my son drumming because I used to do it from my home and it was always uh, being recorded on the same day as my son's drum lesson. Oh. So I was obviously sorry that you could hear drumming in the background. Um, but that's cool. I yeah. love a drumming kid. Yeah, we gave him... My boyfriend gave him drumsticks when he was a baby, when we were weaning him, actually. Mm. And he just started to click them mm. together... And he's kind of just taught himself, so he's obsessed with... Um, Arctic Monkeys was the first oh, one he was obsessed with. Then Oasis. Then now the, we're on a massive Beatles. Oh, yeah, and yeah, And the Who yeah. phase. It's good that they go through that, yeah. And he but he's basically teaches himself. I'm trying to find him a teacher, but they keep saying he's too he's young. He's too little, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But he's obsessed... So from the moment he wakes up till when he goes to bed, and I'm, like, pulling them out of his hands. I mean, obviously, it's driving us mental I mean, as well. yeah, that is, like, that would drive you yeah. mental. But really, like, lean into it. My, yeah. my son is, funnily enough, tomorrow doing an audition uh, to go to a special like, school that is for music wow. because he loves the drums so yeah. much. But they're like, bring your instrument. I was like that. Can you ring them and say, yours is the drums, <laughs> and I'm not, you're not taking it on the bus? <laughs> it's like a whole drum kit on the bus. <laughs> they have assured us that you don't need to take the drums. Um... But so I mean, and you—you you didn't think you were ever going to have kids? No, and it—and it was. Do you know what it was? And my friend um, Sally um, has spoken about this, who I think you've had on yeah, before, yeah, Sally yeah. Hughes. And uh, her and I talked at one point about me having kids, and sh- and she always speaks really powerfully on breaking the cycle. Yeah. And that's what I feel like. Yeah, she had a tough happened. time yeah. as well, didn't she? And in childhood. And she's got great. Great kids, and she's a brilliant mum and human Her being. Her kids are the same age as my children. They? They're exactly I the mean, same age, yeah. And, you know, breaking breaking the cycle was something that I was um, really concerned about, mm. like, because maybe you're kind of fated to keep repeating the same mistakes. That's how generational mm. trauma works. That's mm-hmm. how, you know, families work yeah. mainly. Um, so it's kind of astonishing to me that... that 
I'm not. I'm a really good mum. Well and done. And it's. I know I am. Well done for saying it because, like, society is constantly telling you you're a terrible yeah. mum. Not you personally, just one. Yeah. Um, so well done for saying I'm a good mum. I'm good enough. That's <laughs> what I always say. I am good enough. And if you have got one good parent, I think you're, you're dreaming because obviously yeah. you, you had neither. No. And, and so like, your, and your always, child has got a bounty. Well, and I always comparison. say, right, right, like. Having one shit parent is bad luck, but having two, <laughs> two. it's like, what, 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 is it, what, is it, what is it about me that attracts the bad parents? Um, but I, you know, I was determined. I was like, he is... It's it's not about, like, you know, money or anything like that. It's about I, I've always wanted him to feel complete safety with mm. us. I never want him to be afraid of us. I never want him to feel fear in our house. I never, ever want him not to feel like we're home for him. Mm. And um, my boyfriend's an amazing dad. His mum and dad are the best mm. grandparents, which is good because he hasn't got any others yeah. to rely on. Um, and do it's... You feel, how do you feel about that? Because that, that, I, I have to say that makes a massive, massive difference to my experience of being a mum. My mum died when my youngest was three. Um and I think back and I think I just don't know how I would have done it without her. Just like, not even like that, you know, the practical help and all that is really helpful, but just like the being somebody who has to tolerate your madness and understands what you're going through and just sort of loves you unconditionally. It must have been incredibly hard to have a newborn baby and not yeah. have anyone to have that relationship with. But, you know, I'd never had that with my mum, really. Yeah. So it was, wasn't was something I'd kind of come to rely on. And I'd, I'd always been very independent and very self-reliant, mainly because I kind of had to be. Yeah. And I was very lucky in that my mother-in-law is Norma, shout out to Norma, yeah. is just the greatest human being. And okay, she well, really stepped in and, um, you know, and everyone loves slagging off the mother-in-law, don't they? She she I is like, she's one of the best people on earth. And do you know what? She stepped in, like, there was, a, he was born little in the pandemic. Well, three weeks before the pandemic. Oh, man, alive. Yeah, three what weeks dick? before the first lockdown. And um, he basically, he was really small and we had to take him to the clinic um every week to be weighed and all the streets went to there were no planes there were no traffic we had to walk straight there and walk back um and i remember once we'd been and he'd lost a bit more weight than he was meant to and i was yeah. and i immediately rang her and and she comforted me and yeah. we talked about it and they don't tell you that your baby goes on a diet after it's born. yeah i don't know yeah. why they don't mention this but like it's anyone who's stressful. ever thinking of having a baby who doesn't already have one is that for some reason that babies go on a diet uh, immediately after the born drop loads of weight and you feel like something how especially when you're physically meant to be feeding them with yeah. your own body that you are an enormous failure yes. and what you need is a norma yes. in this situation Situation to say, you have a word with yourself. It's yeah. your baby's going to be fine. Yeah, you trust yourself. Uh, but it's hard. It's hard. I mean, that's it basically is. what my mum did to me. She just told me I was being a div. Yeah. 99% of the time, yeah. I needed somebody to tell me I was being a div. But I'd never had that before. And it was that phone call. I remember a the fact I'd had somebody to ring and that yeah. I'd done it. Um, and, you know, she's been amazing. I don't know how I would have done it without mm. her, to be honest. And still, you know, I'm here talking to you today because she's... She's looking back, after... Back at home <laughs> looking after my son. So um, it's that's been another massive part of having 
a kid is this family that suddenly erupts around you. Um, And it's made me much more kind of, oh, God, like, much more um, warm about about family. Um, I've got a brilliant relationship with my brother and sister, but to see our family grow bigger and bring brilliant people into it, all because, basically, I, I... Met a bloke and fell pregnant. Yeah, fall pregnant. I, I know. Yeah. I was just saying that. I accidentally tripped on his spear, and then the next thing you know, the old uh, term that you, you caught. <laughs> yeah, caught. Like, I don't know how this happened. <laughs> like I wasn't accident, accidentally caught. Although both my pregnancies were an accident. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know, they're, they're the best ones, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And here's the thing: I wouldn't have consciously chosen to have, to have it baby, to have a yeah. baby, but when I fell pregnant and um, I just knew I just knew that I I wanted to keep the yeah. baby I knew that I could be a, I knew instantly that I could and would be a good mum and at that point it was like every right, time in my this. life I've seen the lines on a pregnancy test I knew exactly what I was going to do in the second that I saw yeah it. Uh, and those decisions were different on each and every time but every single time I, I mean obviously I pretended each and every time to be like mulling it over uh, yeah I wasn't I knew exactly what I was going to do the second yeah um uh and yeah so like it's it's a funny thing that sort of like now I'm going to do this. It's going to be it's going to be good. I'm going to be able to do it. And no, I'm not going to do this. It's absolutely not the right yeah. thing right now. Um, so yeah, I think that. I mean, it, he uh, he one day will be. I'm sure be incredibly proud of you. But at the moment, he probably. I'm really looking forward to that. I've got an 18-year-old son and he's, he's yet to show any signs of noticing <laughs> to be proud of me. But uh, I'm sure he, he is. I'm, oh, oh, yeah, on the sly. Yeah. Uh, he's proud of being able to ask me for a tenner every 15 seconds. Um, but, the, you know, you know, will... I think when your kids have their own kids, they reflect on how difficult it is mm. and especially difficult under the circumstances that you grew mm. up with. I imagine he'll think you're pretty damn cool. Well, it's funny because, obviously, I wrote a memoir a few years mm. ago about... Um, my childhood and about ending up in a psychiatric ward in New York. And um, he, everyone kept saying to me, well, oh, God, what about when your son's old enough to read yeah. it? I was like, and? Like, yeah. I, I wasn't planning on keeping any of this a secret from him. Yeah. Um, maybe wait until he's a bit older than three. But he did, um, he, he was lying on the bedroom floor the other day because I was working on something. And he pointed at the cover and went, Mummy! <laughs> and I went, yeah. And then he points to pick it up and I was like, no, maybe not quite yet. And when I like, put it on a high shelf, it was like, maybe. <laughs> Well, wait a few years. My kids, I mean, they literally grew up when they were the age of your son now, watching my brother go through terrible uh, psychotic episodes of being a heroin addict. You know, there's no point hiding any of that shit from them. Like, you know, hide, you know, protect them from the things that will harm them. But secrets are incredibly harmful. Um, When I wrote about having an abortion, somebody uh, said, oh, you know, your children might read this. And I was like, "Ah, so? And it turns out, like, now when they have to have debates in, like, RE about abortion, they get really fiercely, like, pro. Um, So uh, that's charming of them. But, like, you know, they are living in the same world that we live in. So I think it's best to be honest with them throughout. Um, I'd like my children to be slightly less honest with me. (laughs) 
I feel like teenagers used to hide a lot more things. Yeah, we, yeah, that was. I mean, I I was like the most square teenager ever because they always say you rebel against it's your the, yeah, parents. Yeah, the type. Yeah. So my rebellion was to be like super bookish. Like the the I was head girl at school. I was I was a monitor. I was like one of those irritating like six year old yeah. monitors with my little badge on in the corridor, <laughs> bossing around all the other kids. Um. So I like I remember my mum once she I, I gave us back chat and um she said i'd ground you but you never go anywhere and you haven't got any mates <laughs> <laughs> and i was like oh that is harsh. true <laughs> i'd ground you but you haven't got any mates that's the kind of thing my sons say to each other yeah. that, that was um so how would you sign off a letter to lovely emily uh, so I would turn You're it off. You're not named after Emily Hughes. <laughs> yeah. Dear Emily, not Emily Hughes. Um, breaking the cycle with you is the greatest achievement of my life. Love, Mummy. Oh, that is, I mean, and he will definitely one day know it. Not, not yet. No, no. <laughs> not yet. So the second letter I asked you to write was to somebody who's no longer with us. So who would that letter be to? Well, um, it is somebody who's no longer with us, um, uh, but perhaps for different reasons. Yeah, they don't have to be dead. Yeah, yeah, she's not dead. <laughs> well, kind of. It's um, it's young Terry. Oh, I'm young just you. Refer to myself in the third person. Um, like all good mad people. Exactly. I mean, exactly. <laughs> but and I did. So I did used to refer, and specifically Terry around six or seven. Mm. And I did used to refer to her as... I'm definitely yeah. going full into it now. I used to refer to her as, like, a different person. So I used to... I kind of carved my life into two parts, mm. which was um, until I left home um, and then everything after. And I used to, I used to say that mm. it, I was a completely different person and this person had nothing to do with that person. And, um, you know, I've been making this, this documentary for, for radio for the mm -hmm. BBC all around... Um, it was actually off the back of Arthur Labinio Hughes's yeah. death and around the statistics around um, what they call awfully ghost children, but the children yeah. who disappeared from school. And part of the reason I really wanted to do it was um, because, you know, school was a real place of, of safety, safety for, for me. You, yeah. And I'd, I'd have been buggered without school, basically. Mm. And I just, you know, you worry about those kids who aren't in school don't have that place of safety to go, don't have eyes on them outside mm. of their own home. Um, and, you know, a big part of that documentary was kind of digging back into my own past. Mm. So I, I went and visited my teacher, I, I got my social services records mm. for the first time. And kind of. And did they allow you to look at them properly? You are, you are allowed to in <laughs> nowadays. Everything. But... I mean, the, pretty much ninety five percent of it was redacted, um, yeah. which was frustrating. Um, including the, the one that most got my goat was the. I understand people's privacy, yeah. even though I think you know, if you've abused a child, maybe uh, your right to privacy shouldn't be at the paramount. Window. See you later. But the one that Sayonara. got me the most was this is redacted because it could impact your mental health. Because oh, what really? was written was you so, don't fucking yeah. say. And I was like, <laughs> it happened to me, and you now won't let me read the thing about what happened to me yeah. because it might impact my mental health. I had you... an amazing case once where we tried to get the records of a, a, a man who'd murdered his wife, and his daughter was my constituent. 
and the records about her death had been kept from them. And she was about three years old at the time. And then when we got them, the account, the police account and the social services account of the night was about this little three-year-old girl walking through the blood of her mother. Mm. And she'd really wanted the records. And they were, they said something similar to her. And she was like, I'm an adult woman yeah. now. This was in 1962 or something. Like, let me be the judge of this. Thank you very much. Yeah. And, it's, and all of that process was about... Um, in some ways, like, trying to... I can't do anything about what happened to me as a kid. I can't go back and change that. But, you know, going back there and kind of... and seeing what what I can kind of put together about what happened then, it'll hopefully enable me to do stuff that'll save mm. the next, you know, six, mm. seven-year-old who, who is where I was. And Arthur Limbardo Hughes, I mean, he was from the neighbouring yeah. constituency to mine... Um, and, yeah, it's just absolutely harrowing. Um, but Unbearable. all of those cases. Yeah, I mean, you know... Uh, and they're happening all the time. Well, yeah, one... You know, I couldn't... My producer was gobsmacked that it's, you know, there's one child a week... Yeah. ..who dies, and it's yeah. like... And he's like, oh, is that... Is that that definitely right because I've never heard it before and I'm like yeah, yeah. that's... So the, the big cases we hear about, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Star Hobson and Arthur... Yeah. It's just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, it's one of the reasons I read out the names of the dead women because yes. you only ever, you, you know, like Sarah Everard, yeah. uh, you, you know her name. But actually it's so common. that The commonality of the is the thing that we need yep. to be fighting against. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty grim. It is. But, you know, kind of going back and... and I suppose Did you ever think you were going to die? Yeah. When you were a kid? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there was one, the guy who we went to the refuge to get away from, he was he was incredibly violent and he strangled my mum at one point because yeah. um, she refused to have a baby with him. Um, and he was he was incredibly violent and I thought he could definitely... Um, when we left, I remember the day we left yeah. and he threatened my mum that morning because he didn't have any clean socks or pants. I can't remember which one. And he he went mad and he said, you that know, seems about you know rational, exactly, yeah, rational right. reason to be incredibly violent. And he stood at Being the door, your own fucking socks. And he stood at the door and I remember him saying to my mum, you know, if this isn't sorted by the time I come home, you're going to get some fist. Mm. And um, off he went to work. And I don't know why that morning because you know he'd done he'd broken her nose, her fingers, mm. her ribs, like. And she said, right, pack a bag, we're going. And we were like, mm. no, I don't think we believed her. And we chucked some stuff in a bag and we went to the bus stops. We were going to Citizens Advice. Because, mm. again, we didn't really... Back in the 80s, mm. where'd you go for help? So I could go to the police, was <laughs> it? Um, and I remember sitting at the bus stop and we'd all got a bag each and just waiting, because it was like a bus mm. an hour, waiting for the bus to come down the hill and keeping my eye on the road that his car would come up from from work if he came back. And I got it into my head that he knew we were going to run yeah. away and he was coming to get us. And that wait for the bus was it's... the most terrifying, like, thing ever. Because it would have been worse. The point, at which worse. You, well, yeah. the point at which you escape is the most dangerous Yeah, which is the most time. dangerous. And, and you you know it. You've, I didn't know That's that. That's why people don't do it. Yeah. yeah. But, oh, you don't you know it intellectually it. or the statistics. Yeah. Or, but you know that yeah. if you break the control, they will lose control. Yeah, yeah. and um, that was that means death. Yeah, in lots of cases. And that was, you know, that was terrifying. And even after we went home and he'd left the house, I was still very alert to the fact he could come back. He could, you know. Yeah. Um, and that's and and that's the that girl who was that terrified. 
that's the kind of... Does that feel like somebody different to you? Yeah, you know? but, yeah. but part of, you know, part of actually writing the memoir and having my son and mm. making this documentary, I think it's all part of the same thing for mm. me, which is reconciling those two parts of myself mm. and, you know, kind of not leaving little me out in the cold mm. saying, you know, oh, that happened to somebody else. That's, yeah. But kind of... You know, because I, I just I do have an urge to like reach back through time and just say it's going to be all right. Cuddle. I know you. I know you're like scared out of your mind right now, mm. and I know you think this is always going to be like this, but it's not. Like it definitely isn't, um, because it, when that's your only frame of experience, how do you see another reality yeah. where it's not chaos and it's not trauma and it's not well, fear? It can only be what you can say. Yeah. yeah, that's what you've always lived with. That's what you think is normal. normal. Yeah, like just wanting to give yourself a cuddle and just yeah. be like, it'll be all right. Yeah. Oh, love, it'll be all right. I can't. It's like I've got very few pictures of myself as a kid, and I can't. I find it really hard to look at them yeah. because I can see how scared I look. And did anybody ever say that to you? Did anyone ever give you a cuddle and say, you know what, it's going to be all right? No, and there is no... It's funny. That is, you know, like, now mm. I like to think somebody would. Hmm. Yeah. Well, but with Arthur, they didn't, did no. they? Although his nan tried, didn't Yeah, she? she did. And he's, you know, he had... And that was the thing, he had family around he him. He loved him. him. Yeah. His, aunt, his auntie yeah. loved him. Like, he's, he had lots and lots of love in his life. But, you know, he was isolated from that love mm. and that was all about control as yeah, well. And first rule, isolate, isolate, isolate. You can't yeah. abuse someone if you can't isolate them. Yeah. So how would you sign off a letter to little Terry? So I'd say, um, you'll be OK. I know you feel like you can't live in the world right now, but you will. You'll learn how to live and you'll learn how to love. Hang in there. Aww. Love, Terry. I just want to give her a cuddle. Yeah, no, so do I. <sighs> Just want to give her a cuddle and just say it'll be all right, Bab. I sit in my office with kids who come in with their mums uh, trying to escape or just living in poverty or mm. whatever that today's trauma is. Uh, yeah, I was just put my arm around them and say it will it will be okay. Yeah. You know, we'll make sure that it's okay. Which that which you know that the power in just saying that because yeah. people may say, well, what's oh. Oh, it'll be okay. What does that mean? Yeah. That's all a child wants. They yeah. want that reassurance. I mean, I'm not going to sit there and be like, "Well, here's the bureaucracy <laughs> to lay out to you." I mean, just like they just want to hear someone give them a cuddle and say, "You know, it's it's, it's you yeah. know, it's going to be all right." No, it doesn't feel like it, but it will be all right. We'll be back for the final letter after a short break. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.
the last letter I asked you to think about was to somebody who would have no idea of the uh, influence and power that they'd had in your life. So who, who would that be? So this is my first boyfriend's mum. Your first boyfriend's mum. Yeah. That is unusual. <laughs> Don't think anyone's ever had their first boyfriend's mum before. Uh, so what was her name? So her name was Pamela. Pamela. And she used to call herself Pamela Mad Cow. I can't remember why. <laughs> but she, we, we still message occasionally on Instagram and she, she signed it off once, Pamela Mad, Mad Cow. Cow. Yeah. suddenly 16 again. I have to say, I think that people were considerably more self-depreciating than they are these days. <laughs> and also... So, I'm, I'm going to say, politically correct, I hate this sort of terminology, but, yeah, my, my mum's uh, pet name for my dad was Stupid Fat Fucker. Uh, and, <laughs> but when people were around, she'd call him SFF. <laughs> oh, it's that's totally love, endearing. That's that love is and love. kindness. Yeah, 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 totally love and kindness, totally. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, Pamela, what, why did she have such an influence on your life? So, I met her son when I was 16, mm-hmm. and he was my first boyfriend, and we stayed together for five years, actually. Oh. Got engaged at 16. We had Classic. an engagement party above was it, the pub. Was it from Elizabeth Duke, you <laughs> ring? Well... <laughs> It wasn't, actually. It oh, was... my God, that's a step up, because the amount of girls who, like, shared the same engagement right. ring from the same boy from Elizabeth Duke, which was the cubic, Argos jeweller. Cubic sort cubic of cone, okay, yeah. Um It was from a jewel... It was 25 quid from a jeweller's just by the market in Chesterfield, which is where I'm from. Um, I don't know what we were thinking, but we had a bottom drawer. We had a bottom drawer and everything, like, people bought us towels and... We did, I mean, I was going to university. I don't know what we thought we were doing, but um, she was... And, she, and they were very different to our family so his mum and dad were both teachers yeah. they lived in a barrett house oh yeah barrett home yeah and i think they were actually the first proper middle class people i'd ever met um and i'm sure when i bet f- you by london standards they weren't middle class N- no but <laughs> they, lived in a yeah. home. they lived in a barrett house it was detached i mean they had like it wasn't a mondeo until I was elected that i realized that middle class where i come from a middle class here is two yeah. different things yeah <laughs> yeah they you see to me that's upper middle class down here they yeah. don't know what they're on about yeah yeah um, yeah but they had a mondeo i mean a mondeo living the dream honestly two cars um so and so I'm sure when he met me, they were like, oh, fucking hell. Like, She's... the girl from the bottom... I was She's literally from, a bar at home. from the bottom of the hill, single mother, like... Um, but they were so, so important to me at that time. So at 16, I was preparing to go to university. They, apart from my teachers, they were the first people mm-hmm. I'd met who'd ever been to university because uh, I was the first in my family to go. And they just opened this whole other world to me. So their house, I've got such memories of their house. And Radio 4 was, mm-hmm. this is all cliches, but Radio 4 was always on. Mm-hmm. Books on every shelves. They had a really brilliant knowledge of film and music. And they introduced me the summer. I vividly remember the summer before I went to university and they let me like raid their bookshelves. And I read Toni Morrison and Alice Walker and Michael Cunningham, Ted Hughes and mm. Sylvia Plath. And this, this like, it was like a light was switched on for me that there was all of this other stuff in the world that I'd not really experienced before. And they were so kind and warm and treated me like, a human being mm. treated me like an intellectual equal um, and, you know, painted this world for me that I could have if I left home and went to university. And it was it was such an important 
couple of years of my life where I was becoming the person that I would end up mm. being. And and I don't know if, if she ever really knew how key Important she was, that was. Yeah, in, yeah, yeah. in shaping who I became. Like it's, it becomes sort of slightly naff, hasn't it, to talk about kids who grow up with books in their house, but mm. it is a thing. It is. Um, and, it, and funnily enough, it's not necessarily just a, a class thing, although it does often fall yes. on those lines. Yes. Um, my... Uh, my Husband was talking to me at the weekend about how his mum had got all the lids off um, and he was born in socialising, lived in socialising all of his life and his parents, like, if my children go to university, they will be the first in yeah. their, in um, his family to ever go to university because that's not happened yet. Um, and uh, But his mum had got all the smarty lids. Remember, they used to have the mm-hmm. letters on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and made like a thing with twenty six packets of Benson and Hedges, <laughs> and uh, they all had the letters in, and they would do their spelling with them, and just having parents who like are fascinated by the world, whatever yeah. class they yeah. are, um, interested in the esoteric, yes. and like it just makes. And if you haven't had that, yeah. and then you see it. It would be like, I don't know, like opening a door to a, a, a library, basically, yeah. I suppose, um, a library of inspiration. And if you'd never come across that... Yeah. And to another, likelihood is, is that you wouldn't have ended up no, where you are. And to, and to a different life. I, I felt like I stood on the precipice and they just opened the door and went, all of this, you can have access to all of this, it's not off limits to you mm. and you just need to go out and discover it and they were curious and they were intellectually curious but also as human beings and they just had such a warmth about them as well when you were saying earlier about whether anyone ever gave me a hug there was no physical affection in our house growing up now remember they were um, one of those families who could I'm, I'm from one of those families and yeah I remember the first time I went to their house and his mum gave me a hug to say hello and she used to always hug me to say hello and hug me to say goodbye and I literally was like that like <laughs> I don't know what to do somebody's touching me somebody's touching me um and I like completely spammed me out I'm like who hugs like kids what's going on and then I loved it because I I would go months without being touched at all <laughs> and you and you forget how yeah. important just being, being touched, touched just is, a human yeah, being yeah, yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and so i just felt this real warmth and safety in their house and you know when things were were bad again at home sometimes i go and stay there for a few days and there was always like food on the table and like conversation and it was just such a different experience yeah. than what i'd had at home do you think you'll try and do this as you, so I, I grew up, funnily enough, in a house where we had lots of kids like you mm. who ended up staying with us. Um, yeah. So kid whose mum had been killed by a dad came to live with us when we were kids. Used to come on holiday with us in respite, and just people who teenagers who couldn't, who you know, for all sorts of reasons mm. that I didn't really contemplate at the time, couldn't live, used to stay in our house. And definitely, my son is now seventeen, uh, eighteen. So uh, I have become, I have. My house has become this, like, the world is your oyster to yep. these teenage... Especially teenage girls. Yep. I'm like, being a cam girl is not a good idea. I know it seems like cheap money, but I'll tell you what, read this Tony Morrison. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, am, I am like that with... 
the teenagers who hang about my house. So with Emlyn's friends, you'll get to oh do my this. God. I hope so. You know, and I, I want him to... I, when I was pregnant, I said to my boyfriend, what if he is, like, a cultural abyss and just ends up becoming an estate agent <laughs> who, like, doesn't have any books in his house and never watches films? What are we going to do? Um, it doesn't happen, though, <laughs> if they're your children. I it mean, doesn't happen. It doesn't I happen. Not. I hope not. But so I'm, like, obsessed with him having access to whatever he wants, music. Yeah books like you know watch Paddington 2 maybe don't watch Bing <laughs> like trying to educate him um I watched Poltergeist when I was three at my uh childminder's house it was before the days of often yeah um but uh, <laughs> safeguarding yeah, there's yeah definitely a safeguarding issue god love that um it was the women's liberation cooperative childminding service. <laughs> it's sort of like just, you know, very light touch. Um, but, um, yeah, they, but they won't, your kids won't be like that. You know, your son won't be like that. He will he will experience the whole world. Um, and, and then they'll start lecturing you about it, like you don't yeah. know what you're talking about. Oh, my God, my son talks to me about film theory. I want to kill him. <laughs> um, can't watch anything without him telling you about, oh, I don't know, male gaze and yeah, stuff like yeah, that. No. <laughs> Please. Uh, so, yeah, it's very irritating, but uh, but also delightful that they have those opinions. Um, but, yeah, so don't worry. It'll be fine. And you'll, so. you'll, you'll have a Terry, a young Terry that yeah. turns up at your house one day. Yeah. And m my children are like, oh, Mum's going to make a project of you if you come round. <laughs> I want a project. Uh, yeah, you're going to get the, you're going to get this chance. I'm telling you. So what would you what would you say to Pamela Madcare? How so would you I, sign off the letter? So, Pamela Madcare, thank you for turning the light on, for showing me the world that I could inhabit. Oh, Love Terry. Yeah. I mean, she probably doesn't know no. how important she was. Do you still talk to her son ever? No. <laughs> <laughs> No, no. Um, I never I'm, talked to my boyfriend of five years from when I was no, 16 either. I bumped into him recently and he sort of was quite standoffish to me and I thought, that's weird. <laughs> like, I was just like, oh, hello. Well, and the truth was, when we split up, I was way more devastated about losing them than I was about losing him. <laughs> like, swear down, I yeah, was like... I really oh. liked my first boyfriend's mum. Yeah. I did not like his dad. I was oh, glad no. to be rid. Well, they were both brilliant and both so clever and just so... Oh, just brilliant company. And in my head, I had all the, like, years we'd spend together, all the Christmases we'd spend yeah, together, <laughs> the holidays we'd go on together. And when we, um, when we broke up, I was like, he took that from me. He yeah. took my future. And by future... I mean, my future with his mum. With Pamela Maskell. <laughs> yeah, he took away our, our rightful relationship. Wow. Um, and I, we met up once. She um, still lives in, uh, in Chesterfield, and we met up once for lunch when I was back from New York. And, um, and then she followed me on Instagram, and I was, like, so giddy. And now, <laughs> and, and now she likes the pictures of my son and oh, stuff like that. Lovely. And I, nice. I always think, that could have been your grandson. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't want to... I was just going to say, I didn't want to say that because it sounded weird, but now I've said it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Pamela Madcow, I'm freaking you out, but it could be your grandson. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming, Terry. It's been a total pleasure <laughs> to talk to you uh, and little Terry, um, which sounds creepy when you say it like that, but uh, we're trying to make it's it like so... It's like young Terry, but yeah. I'm not sure that's any better either. Young Terry. Young um, It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Yours Sincerely with Jess Phillips. 
If you want to hear more conversations just like this, make sure you click the follow button now on the app where you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow us on social media. We're at Jess Phillips Pod, and I'll be back next week with a brand new episode. This has been an Audio Always original. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>